Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host Dean and as always I'm joined by my good friend, Doctor Who fanatic and other choice adjectives, Andrea. Hello Dean, how are you this week? I'm good, I nailed that intro and I'm kind of ready to talk about some Doctor Who. Only kinda? Yeah, we'll talk about it, obviously, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to rewatch Doctor Who Series 2, and we're rewatching Doctor Who Series 2, Episode 2, Tooth and Claw. I told that joke last week. And it's still no better this week. Well, th- thank you, thank you. We start every week with a little sentence summary of the summary of the episode. We do. Would you like to share yours this time? I would love to. Queen Vic gets a big scare when a big wolf comes to gobble her up. She does. That is both factual and related to turkeys. Would you like to hear mine? I will give it a peruse. I'm glad you will. When they go oot and a boot in the TARDIS, the Doctor and Rose expect Maggie Thatcher and the Muppets, but instead they get Queen Victoria and a werewolf cult. That was much better than mine, apart from the fact that for some reason you mispronounced out and about. It's just the way I wanted to say it, because this episode, Scotland, yeah, kilts. It didn't make a lot of sense, and I feel like we need to clear up for our listeners. That's not actually how you pronounce it. Okay, it's out and about, and I was wrong to bring my ill pronunciation forward for others. Yeah, and you even pronounced that illly. Okay, let's have some general information about this bloody episode. It was written by the man, the legend. He's not a myth. We know he exists. He's out there somewhere doing God knows what. Don't try and find out. Russell T. Davis. (laughs) Yeah, don't go stalking dear old Russell. I say um, old, but he can't be that old. Oh, I reckon he's like in his 50s. Yeah, but that's not old, old. I just said old because this was a while ago now. He's 57. That is pretty old. Wow, that's older than I thought. I hope he's doing well. Yeah, I hope you're healthy, Russell. Anyway, it was directed by Euros Lynn, who also directed The End of the World and The Unquiet Dead. And he goes on to direct many more Who episodes, so good on him. Uh, It was also broadcast on the 22nd of April 2006. Now, I actually have something related to this episode that happened this week. Oh. The day before, it was the Queen's 80th birthday. Whoa, Queen Victoria was only 80 then? I'd like to clarify, it is, however, Elizabeth II, not Queen Victoria, for she is long since dead. Yes, she died in 1901 and... Queen Elizabeth is still kicking at time of recording. Uh, Please give us your more fun facts, I hope. The working title, because we love our alternative titles here at Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate rewatch podcast. The working title for this episode was Queen Victoria. Pretty simple. What do you think of that? Pretty boring. I prefer Tooth and Claw because then I can make a series two, episode two, two and claw joke i can't believe you fitted that in three times now deal with it at one stage in filming billy piper's hair apparently caught on fire i'm trying to work out in my head in what scene that would have happened what do you think i would say probably when she has her hair i think 
I narrowed it down to that scene as well. Well done. This episode introduces the recurring joke of the companion attempting to adopt a local accent and being told, no, don't do that, by the Doctor, as is seen later in The Shakespeare Code and The Unicorn and the Wasp. I hadn't actually made that connection until more recently. How about you? Um, I'm not sure if I have, actually. That's an interesting point. Hmm. Thank you. I should name these interesting facts from now on, but that's not a fricative, so whatever. Whilst this episode speculates that Queen Victoria's haemophilia was actually the result of the werewolf's bite, her son, Le- <laughs> her son Leopold was diagnosed with it two decades prior to when Tooth and Claw was set, and it is thought that she was a carrier of the disease rather than a sufferer of it herself. Wait, so you're telling me that she's not actually a werewolf? Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's a bit of inaccuracy. According to what I've researched, this is. I'm not attacking Doctor Who for inaccuracy, but it's not spot on with its dates, definitely. Okay, that's interesting. Every week, Dean and Andrew like to talk about trivia, but we don't talk about it. We ask questions about it. Now, Andrew is asking the questions, and I'm giving the correct answers every time without fail. Okay, that's how good I am at life. Andrew, I take it away. During the writing process, what did Russell T. Davis allegedly consider surprising viewers with? A. The doctor shooting Father Angelo in the dining room. B. Rose having a connection to the werewolf due to her bad wolf history. C. Robert being bitten and turned into a werewolf himself. Or D. The werewolf killing Queen Victoria. Hmm. I don't think it's the bad wolf connection because we kind of get that. Um, and I can't see them getting the doctor to kill someone with a gun because I think that is a bit too out there so it's between the other two and i'm gonna go with the werewolf killing queen victoria ah i really hoped that you would think that's too surprising for viewers but yes it was the werewolf killing queen victoria well done thank you thank you one point to dean fun fact for you even though this isn't a fun fact section i know wow i'm really pushing the boundaries of podcastingness. When they killed Queen Victoria in this potential surprise for viewers, this would have created a parallel universe, and this would be the universe later seen in The Rise of the Cybermen slash The Age of Steel later in this series. Isn't that interesting? That would have actually been really cool, I think. I kind of wish they did do that. Yeah, part of me does. Part of me thinks it maybe would have overcomplicated things, which is why I think Russell went against that idea eventually. But... I like both versions, potentially. Hmm, I do. Anyway, anyway, question two time. Due to unavailability, two actors were unable to make the read-through for this episode. Instead, David Tennant's parents actually read these roles. But which character did Tennant's mum read for? A. Queen Victoria B. Rose C. Lady Isabel or D. The Werewolf Hmm, now that's a tricky one. I think... It wouldn't be Queen Victoria. If you think about being unavailable, if you're not... I don't know. Okay. I don't think you can give her a big role like Queen Vic or Rose. So I'm going to go with Lady Isabel. 
Damn it, I thought I might tempt you with the werewolf there, but yes, it was C, Lady Isabel, and his dad read for Captain Reynolds, who very foolishly gets himself killed quite early on in this episode. What a fool. What a fool. What a fool. But well done. Two questions right so far. Question three. At the beginning of the episode, the Doctor claims to be Dr. James McCrimmon from the town of Balamori, referencing the popular children's TV show. This is a personal favourite question of mine. Which of the following revived Doctor Who characters does not share part of their name with a regular character from Balamori? A. Penny Carter from Partners in Crime B. Professor Peach from The Unicorn and the Wasp C. Susie Fontana Brook from The Waters of Mars or D. Archie from The Name of the Doctor I will go with your Waters from Mars option please There is a character called Susie Sweet and she works in a red shop The correct answer was Professor Peach as there is not a character with that name but there is a PC Plum and there's a Penny Pocket who works in the red shop as well with Susie Sweets and Archie the inventor who lives in the pink castle that's annoying it was a fun question though wasn't it uh no because I got it wrong wow what a sulky loser question four which of the following lines does Father Angelo not chant in Latin whilst observing the full moon from the dining room window? A. The wolf is great. B. The wolf is strong. C. The wolf is mighty. D. The wolf is God. The wolf is great. The wolf is strong. The wolf is mighty. The wolf is God. It's going to be God. It's going to be God almighty. And I'm going to go... But, like, mighty and strong are so similar, so I think I'm going to go mighty. Wow, you really did see through me there. Yes, it was C, the wolf is mighty. Ba-boom. And for the final question, I ask you this. Pauline Collins, who plays Queen Victoria, previously appeared in a 1967 classic Doctor Who episode. But which one? A, the moon base. B, the macro terror. C, the Faceless Ones, or D, the Evil of the Daleks? Mm, um, no idea. Okay. Can I have the options again, please? Of course you can. A, the Moon Base, B, the Macro Terror, C, the Faceless Ones, or D, the Evil of the Daleks? I will go with... The f- Eve Face, the Eve Face, Eve faceless evil of the Dalek ones I'm afraid I can't accept that answer so you are disqualified (laughs) oh wow wow do I not even get a second try okay since I'm feeling generous I'm gonna go with the evil faceless ones Dalek you have ruined your second chance you are disqualified all previous points count for nothing that's not how this works at all oh Would you like a third try then? Okay, I will go with the faceless ones. Should we have a quick look at the scores? No. Too late. Go. Well, if you ask me, that was a pretty good effort. Screw you. 
It was, and it paints me in a particularly bad light following my shameful... This is my favourite section of the podcast where I get to put my feet up, put on the kettle, watch some Doctor Who and enjoy myself whilst Dean, meanwhile, continues talking to you and delves into the plot in his own unique, slightly disturbing way. Go ahead, Dean. Yes, in fact, these do take as long as it does to watch an episode of Doctor Who, but we're just really getting good at editing these down to like a five-minute, six-minute chunk of the episode. Precisely, do not go over that, Dean. Okay, here we go. The Doctor and Rose are hanging out in the TARDIS like they do most weeks when I watch Doctor Who, and they're like, hey, let's go to the 1970s to listen to some music or whatever, I, I don't... I don't care. And they and then they show up and they're not there. Surprise. We knew they wouldn't be there. Because that's how these things usually go. And where are they? Wow. They ain't just in bloody 1870 with Queen Victoria being like, who are you? And why are you naked? And um the doctor's like, Well, you see, here you we laddie. I'm actually here to protect you. Look at my credentials. And he shows them the psychic paper, and the queen is like, oh, okay, let's go to the Torchwood house, and there we can have some fun and not get attacked by a werewolf. And the doctor's like, well, okay there, wheel laddie. That's a weirdly example there, but let's bloody go. I'm from Scotland. Uh, so they go. But months previously at this house in Torchwood, the guy had been there and a bunch of monks had showed up. And he's like, hey, what are you doing at my house? And the monk's like, we're here to steal it with our sick karate moves. And they go, bam, bam, bam. They beat everyone up and now they're in charge. But the doctor and the rose and the queen of England, queen of Victoria, the first of England's queen... And they show up there, and the guy in charge is obviously knows the queen's about to be killed, but he doesn't want the queen to be killed. But they also he also gets told they're going to kill his wife if he doesn't do what they say. So he's kind of like, "Hey, Queenie, hey, I'm trying to subtly hint to you that you shouldn't be here and you should leave." And the queen's all like, "I do what I want. Let me come in." And then the doctor's like, "I'm from Scotland," and they go in, and Rose is like, "I'm going to go upstairs and get changed," and she opens her wardrobe, and there's a woman in there and it's a big thing, and they leave the room, and all the guards have been knocked out. Don't ask me why. It's some magic juice that they all drink. And so they're all unconscious, and then the the rose and the, the woman in the wardrobe get taken downstairs where there's a man in the cage, and he's all like, I'm an alien, but I'm in a boy's body. But the boy's grown up, but also I like the moon, and I'm going to bite the queen, and then Wolf will be in charge, and whatever whatever he says and meanwhile upstairs they're all having dinner very nicely without rose she's really just a bore a lot of the time so the doctor's enjoying some time away from her it's a joke and they're talking about a werewolf story about how a werewolf comes and eats animals and steals little children and the the queen's husband and this bloke's father who's who's the tortured believed in it and it's quite interesting they're like wow and then a werewolf arrives and they're like ah run away and they'll run away and they lock themselves in this room a bit later and they're like wow the werewolf can't get in this room because the walls taste like mistletoe as i'm looking the wall and they talk for a bit about wow this is so weird and the queen's like hey if you if if i don't get out of here alive 
please look after this diamond for me because it's the most expensive thing in the world apart from my love for you she doesn't actually say that that would be a bit out of place and um the werewolf comes through the window and they all run away and the werewolf's a bit like Rawr. and they run and the doctor's like hey i know what to do with this diamond let's shove it to this telescope which was introduced earlier in the episode and i and i declined to mention it because i don't agree with telescopes philosophically so they go upstairs and there's a telescope there they're a bit like get this telescope in and they put it in and blast the wolf and he's dead but he did give the queen a little bit of a nibble but everything's fine for some reason and meanwhile the doctor goes back home with rose and they're like let's go to a school the end wow that would have been a great final line for the episode itself missed opportunity there thank you very much for that plot what do you think of the setting it's in scotland i think that says enough every week dean and andrea go through their most standout moments of the episode some good some bad some bad some good and Andrea's going to kick us off with her first standout moment, which is going to be a good one. Oh, I'm not sure I can guarantee that. The first on my list is the pre-credits action when the monks take over the Torchwood house and do some karate stuff. I'm not a big fan of this scene. It feels very un-Doctor Who to me and a bit out there. And although that's not generally a negative thing, I'm not sure it quite works for me, but I really wrote this down because I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I really didn't like this bit. It felt like a bad Matrix parody from five years after everyone was making bad Matrix parodies. It's just kind of out of place. The bit that annoys me is just the the quick cuts of the camera of just zooming on the monks and then just them all ripping off their robes. Like, it's bad. Like, we don't need this scene or it could have been done a lot better needless to say and I think it would be my least favorite moment of the ep I think I'd agree when you compare it with the rest of the episode it does seem out of place I think the monks would actually come off better in this episode if they hadn't been introduced in a sort of as you said matrix type almost cheesy because it doesn't pay off so it almost feels like they're parodying something a bit like how I consider Spyfall in series 12 to be cheesy because it's parodying James Bond to an extent. And so it doesn't really work. And the monks would probably be a cooler character if they didn't have this weaker introduction. What's your first standout moment? Well, that was my first standout moment. But my second standout moment was I is jumping forward quite a bit. You might want to slot something in before after i finish speaking that's the telescope scene i like them admiring the telescope even though i don't agree with them philosophically i still have to give credit where credit's due for the rest of this scene um of them talking over the telescope and just the back and forth they have apart from a couple character things i'll talk about later mostly this is a good scene apart from the telescope thank you for that when you first said the telescope scene i thought we were jumping right to the end and that you really hated the middle part of this episode but i enjoy that scene too you're right i would like to slot something in before that quickly but talking about this telescope scene 
I like the constant dynamic we have of Robert trying to get across that they should go, that there's something going on. And I particularly love the moment where he goes to talk about the wealth and the head monk, Father Angelo, cuts him off and the doctor susses that something isn't quite right. I think that's played quite well. Yeah, yeah, it's quite clever. Although I think the Queen should also suss at that moment something's a bit off because it's kind of obvious. And also, we she she should have watched the earlier bit of the episode where he does the karate. Karate, yes. She should have seen that, definitely. I'm not sure what she would have made of it, but alas, we will never know. She probably hasn't seen The Matrix, so she might have loved it. Yeah, Queen Victoria would have been a big Matrix fan, I believe. <laughs> She definitely has a crush on Keanu. Of course, of course. Keanu or Prince Albert, you know? Not really a question, is it? Anyway, my second standout moment from my side of things would be before this when we actually meet Queen Victoria. I love the bit where Rose tries to adapt to a Scottish accent, as we previously mentioned. I think it's very funny and... It's so short that it doesn't overpower the scene. It's not like in New Earth where you thought sometimes the comedy was amped up a bit too much. But here, it's just a neat little thing at the beginning of a scene. And I also love the fact that we hear David Tennant doing what's a really rubbish Scottish accent. It's great acting somehow. I mean, it is almost as good as the Scottish accent I was doing earlier on. But I still think it's good acting to do a bad accent. And maybe it isn't like, let's see if I can do a bad english accent hello i'm dean and i speak no that's my queen victoria well hello there i'm dean and i speak really englishy with a posh accent chip chip that was just your accent with a chip chip on the end and i'd like to remind you that chip has been and gone he was in new earth and now we're on to tooth and claw what do you make of the introduction with queen victoria yeah i do like the scene i like the dynamic of Queen Victoria bossing her guards around going, oh, well, it says you're my guards. And just like nobody really questions that they just stepped out of the box. But it works, I think. It's a good intro. It does. It quickly gets the characters into the position that they're going to be in for the rest of the episode without really faffing about. And that I appreciate. What would your next standout moment be? You'd love to know, wouldn't you? I would. That's why I primarily asked. Okay, it's just... Another convenient thing that I alluded to in my plot summary, and it's just how they all decide to drink this knockout juice that just immediately knocks the guards out. And none of the guards are like, no, I'm not thirsty. Or they all just drop at exactly the same time. They all just drink it and look. And then it's just a bit convenient for me. It is. I hadn't really paid much attention to it because I think, because it's, I believe, cross-cut with Rose looking yeah. at dresses you sort of get distracted slightly but it is I, I think really there is a soldier somewhere that we don't see he's just sipping on his apple juice in his carton obviously because victorian times they all had juice boxes and he's just like what, what the hell's going on and we never see him and i think it would have been really good to follow him in some form of subplot yeah that would have been great maybe a spin-off show or, or something like that let's get this done yeah. Anyway, what was your next standout moment? Well, it follows very shortly after the moment with the soldiers. It's not a very long moment, but it's when Rose discovers Laura 
the maid in the wardrobe and she has a very miniature version of the conversation we see with her in the unquiet dead with Gwyneth and as we've said many times she works well with vulnerable characters often female characters who are of a similar age to her and this is another example of that dynamic flourishing and I think you don't expect it. Rose definitely doesn't expect it from the shriek that she gives out when she opens those wardrobe doors. But I think it's a good little twist that we get, especially with Rose then through her association with Laura being taken off by the monks and sort of left out of the picture. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, every time I open a cupboard, I do expect to see a maid standing there. I'm I'm disappointed a lot of the time. But it is a very good scene, and you're right. It's all this, it's kind of like a mini Gwyneth, but about the same size and it does work very well and I did enjoy this scene and it's one of the highlights of the episode for me. Oh that's very nice. I'd also like to go on and talk about what for me isn't really a moment it's more a section of the episode. Something I found quite hard about this episode was picking out individual moments because it's kind of a long chase and so it all blends into one eventually for me. But I really like the section where we have the dinner with Robert talking about the werewolf and then gradually realising that the monks are sinister and that they're in the room with them. I really like that. It's quite sinister. And gradually the pace creeps up on you. And then alongside that almost, you have Rose in the, I don't know what you call it. It's not a dungeon, but it gives me dungeony vibes. The cellar. The cellar, thank you, with all the other staff of the house with Lady Isabel Roberts' wife and the werewolf, well, it's not a werewolf at the time, but the boy in the cage with the hood up and the big scary eyes. And I think it all just works really well. And we also see Rose taking on the sort of independence that she had in The Parting of the Ways, but sort of lost in later episodes. Yeah, very true. I'll be honest, full disclosure here, I just got pretty bored in the middle of this episode and I don't know if that's actually happened before yet in this podcast because a lot of the time I'm either getting annoyed about stuff that's happening or I'm, <coughs> Adam yes or I'm really enjoying the episode there's not normally a boredom that's there but I think this episode might be just pretty dull compared to the rest for better or worse so did you not like that moment or was it after that it's kind of just that after the werewolf is revealed, I think there's a bit of a lull in the plot, just them going from room to room going, what are we going to do? There's a werewolf. Oh no, the werewolf's here. Run away. Just keep going on that back and forth with not a lot of furtherment. I get what you're saying. I think, however, that that's kind of the reason why for me as a kid, watching this I didn't watch loads of Doctor Who when I was young because it scared me but this was the one that I watched and was absolutely terrified of and I think maybe the fact that there's a middle section where you don't have plot and instead it's just a chase and trying to outrun that werewolf because of that it's almost scarier and I don't find it scary anymore which I think means that it's lost a bit of interest for me which is sad but I think that the chase works to an extent, but it perhaps goes on a bit too long. I would say that the music, Murray Gold's music, although it's not the best, most tuneful soundtrack that he lets us listen to, I say it like 
is like I don't really want them to listen to it but I'll let them this time but it's not one of his absolute best like the tracks such as this is Gallifrey or the life and death of Amy Pond but it has a constant quick beat that allows the action to progress in a fast way so even if it's potentially dull it still has energy which I think is quite important because in recent Doctor Who I felt like the soundtrack in my opinion has let down scenes because you're not being forced to respond in a certain way there are more evident dips in pace because of a lack of emotive and well-utilized music so I appreciated that in this episode but I do agree with you I did actually have some problems with the music in this episode because I think in some of the quieter moments it is just a bit too over dramatic and that isn't just the music that's also how the scene's shot big one jumping way forward here but I'll talk about it as we're talking about music is when Queen Victoria is talking about starting the Torchwood Institute she goes and we will start the Torchwood Institute and the camera kind of zooms in and lingers on her while there's just massive dramatic music in the background while I'm sitting here going as a viewer I've got no idea what's this supposed to mean it's just a bit of a random thing to have that and now knowing what torture it is it's still not really struck me like wow this is an amazing moment that the institute was started and blah 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 i think the music is just a bit over dramatic then yeah i'd never really thought about it to be honest but i suppose you're right i do think that that scene that last scene we get this really is jumping ahead with queen victoria and lady isabel both pretty melancholy in their black grieving clothes and um discussing the creation of the Torchwood Institute to be prepared if the Doctor ever returns despite being banished by her towards the end of the episode. I think scene works better with hindsight because it gets more relevant for knowing that it's directly connected to the story arc. However, watching it live, I can't imagine what people would have been thinking. They probably would have spotted that it's something they need to pay attention to, which is why perhaps the music is so dramatic, because you're meant to pay attention to this. It's not just an on-the-end side bit. But, yeah, it's an okay scene, that last one. But going back a bit, do you have any scenes you'd like to talk about? I have another complaint. And there's the, it's the scene where they're in the library and the werewolf can't get in and they're trying to figure out and it's because mistletoe varnish on the walls and then on the doors and everything stopping the werewolf from getting in and I don't have a problem with that bit the problem I have a bit is is later on in the scene the werewolf smashes through the window and then they all run out of the room and close the door and then the werewolf just easily smashes through the door that's got mistletoe varnish on it just Surely that's like the best possible outcome. Then they're like, ha we've trapped the werewolf in this room. But no, for some reason, it can now get through the door. Hmm, I hadn't really spotted that. Good spot. I'd like to talk about the mistletoe reveal, building on what you've said, because I do think that after you get a bit of a lull in the actual progression of the plot, you know that there's a werewolf and that the monks worship it as some sort of god and it's all very tense and people have already died. And I love the moment, this is really skipping back to what I've already talked about, where the werewolf senses the bad wolf within Rose. I think that's a really nice touch. So you get all of this vagueness because of it. You know there's a werewolf, but you don't know much else. 
And then finally, with the mistletoe reveal through the maids wondering why they weren't killed by the werewolf in the kitchen, they finally realise that the werewolf is allergic to the stuff. And I think that that's a neat little drawback to the plot. It tunes us back into why this is all happening. And I also like the fact that they're using books as weapons. It's not something we see later. I think it's quite a neat statement almost because it's saying it's the best arsonry you could have. Yeah, it's a bit of a quotable scene. Well, I would say that I like the moment after they've talked about the Koh-i-Noor and how it was left uncompleted by Prince Albert. The Doctor suddenly has a moment of realisation it's like unfinished, unfinished. And he realizes that everything in this house, everything that they've learned is both unfinished and connected. And the pace picks back up after you have that lull. I would say that the potential lull in pace that we get around the Koinor discussion is okay because you have such a lengthy chase that then really effectively stops when there's a sort of scuttling of the werewolf in the silence when they're in the room that the werewolf cannot get into. And I really like that change from really fast, lots of music to silence and really slow. I think that's really effective. But then it does drag a little bit um, when you get to the Koinor discussion. But then you have that moment of realisation and everything picks up again. And so I would say that this episode, despite seeming a little dull, as you said, is quite good at using pace effectively. And I really like that moment where he's just, the Doctor's trying to, draw together all these facts to create one big picture that you really wouldn't expect to be connected yeah I do like this scene too but to be negative once again that has been my role for the last couple of episodes I don't really like the the editing of this scene when it's just quick cuts of the doctor going ah I know so much thought going into my brain it just cut different cuts of him just shouting random stuff I think the the editing there doesn't really work but apart from that i enjoy the the realization of of the plot so to speak what do you make of robert's sacrifice because that's my next standout well it kind of brings me to just one of the main complaints about this and i think at the time of making this episode i just wish people had the 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 foresight to not make an entire episode based around a CGI villain because I kind of get the same moment here when it's kind of a nice sacrifice and I do like him saying my my wife will remember me as a hero or whatever it is he says and then it just cuts to like this weird CGI werewolf that's just well technically it's not a werewolf technically it's a lupine wavelength hymophone form but apart from, how long yeah. have you been waiting to get that in <laughs> I, I've just, I'm just, I just know these things, you know, obviously. It's just like obviously pretty dodgy CGI on the werewolf. So you say that, but yes, it is dated now, but in comparison to the other CGI we've seen from Series 1 and from the Christmas Invasion in New Earth thus far, I think it's actually potentially the best. I don't know if I'm slightly biased because I know that this was the villain that scared me most as a kid and therefore I still appreciate its look for the potential terror but I think it actually for its time is not too bad. I think the the actual CGI of it is about 
on par with the Jaguar Fest, which is I'm not Ouch. talking about. I'm not talking. I have other. Obviously, I I like prefer this werewolf to the Jaguar Fest because of the actual design of it. I much prefer the werewolf design to quite a poor design of the Jaguar Fest. But if we're looking at just the CGI, I think they're pretty similarly crap by modern standards. Obviously. That's fair enough. I did love my werewolf action figure when I was younger. I would argue that with Robert's sacrifice, which has historically been one of my favourite scenes from this episode because of its harrowing and heroic nature, I would say that they maybe try to make Robert too much of a hero with all the kisses that he gets from his wife in the moments when they meet, him talking about this is treason. I do like the treason elements and how he's really stuck between his wife and his duty to the monarchy. Yeah, I agree with that. But I do think they maybe over-amplify his role as the hero that sacrifices himself for the Doctor a little bit. But that would be really nitpicking for me. So I do like this scene a lot. I would say, though, that the point of view shot for the werewolf is pretty samey to all the other POV shots we've seen throughout Revival Who so far. It'd be nice to see something a little bit more original, although I'd say it's 10 times better than the Reaper one in Father's Day, which is potentially my least favourite. Yeah, just we don't need POV shots at all. Just It's hard to differentiate them if you're doing multiple, so just don't do them. What do you think of the editing of his actual death? Because you've been a bit critical of the editing. But I think it's quite effective seeing him gradually be gnashed. Yeah, I think it works well, apart from obviously the the werewolf um, CGI that I've already mentioned. What is your next stand-up moment? Well, it would have to be the resolution. And for me, this is maybe where I think the episode is a little weaker. Because I feel the whole thing with the telescope yes it's all very clever that they bring all these components together and it works and i really admire that in this episode but i do think that as a casual spectator it's quite a unclear resolution that maybe because of its lack of clarity and the way in which it's resolved so suddenly after such a long and grueling chase it is maybe a bit anticlimactic what do you think I think it's a bit underwhelming as well. It just it it just happens and it's not like a it's not like a climax of the episode like your resolution should be. It's just another plateau, I think. It doesn't up the ante in most ways. And this is actually something we've said for numerous episodes. I think that generally resolutions do not live up to your expectations. I'm not saying that all the resolutions are rubbish. I think that that's something in more recent Doctor Who, even maybe in Capaldi's era, when the resolutions were just solved with the click of a sonic screwdriver and it really became a big underwhelming part of each episode that had shown promise. I think that resolutions still during this era are much better and more unique and clever, but they're never really the highlight for me. Yeah, you're right. The res yeah, a lot of the resolutions are quite underwhelming, just like the revolution of the Daleks. I also have a bit of a problem with the whole Queen Victoria's bit by a werewolf thing, because obviously it's quite funny, but like the entire point of the episode 
was to stop her being bit by a werewolf so the, the royal family doesn't become werewolves. And then it's just treated as a joke, which obviously I get that's the point of it. But there's no inclination of like the doctor trying so long to not make the royal family become werewolves. And then just at the end, he's like, yeah, that's cool. Let's go. Ha ha ha. And the bit that annoyed me specifically is when they're talking about it and they get on the TARDIS and they both howl. I'm just, so I found it a bit of a cringy moment. I was thinking this exact same thing about how they try the entire episode to prevent her getting bitten or scratched by the werewolf and yet it happens and it doesn't seem to be a big deal and I never have really understood that. My only thought is that maybe reflecting on it, they're just relieved that the chase was over. Maybe they weren't ever really running for the sake of Queen Victoria but for everyone and the fact that the threat of the werewolf is gone is enough. Yeah, but I think they obviously did have inclinations of wanting to stop the age of the were or age of the wolf or whatever is it that the wolf says in the cellar. Empire of the wolf. Empire of the wolf. Like then they're like, oh, empire of wolf in two hundred years. That's not a problem. Yeah, it's a bit blasé on their behalf and a bit uncharacteristic. And I would say that I do appreciate their dialogue about the royal family maybe potentially being werewolves when they make digs such as saying that Princess Anne's a bit like a werewolf herself and things like that. It draws you back to remembering that Rose is from a time that we're from and it sort of highlights their relatability, if that makes sense. Yeah, I kind of just found the whole scene kind of cringy, but that's beside the point. Let's move on. Every week, Dean and Andrew like to talk about the characters in alphabetical order if the alphabet is most important to least important and every week we start with the same character who's right at the start of the alphabet and that is doctor who and the order we're going this week actually is alphabetical order so screw you wow how neat i think this is a good episode for him i think he's already hit his stride as the Doctor and we just accept him. I wasn't finding myself analysing him too much from a new point of view. So I think that's a positive in itself. I do think it's a bit random, the jokes about him being rude again, because that's never really a theme with his Doctor. But that's a really little thing. It's a bit bit of a random one, but I liked it over. I think this might be his personal strongest episode yet for his character because they finally moved away from the actiony things and it's him thinking and being funny and caring and I think a lot of it works well for his character. I think I would have to agree because whilst I love David Tennant's portrayal of Cassandra, that's not him playing the Doctor really, is it? I also think that we see glimpses of what we see later on, for example, the way in which he adores the look of the werewolf and revels in the chase. And that's something that very much is a theme with him. So bonus points for his character in this episode. Yep, the next character we talk about is the Rose. And I have a complaint that I have a feeling you're going to disagree with. And I don't have a problem with the Dr. Rose stuff that, that happens later on, but watching this series in chronological order something that i don't think i've done since my first time watching it i've kind of noticed that 
there's not as much build up to it as you would think and straight away from christmas invasion new earth they're they're i think they're flirting too much and it's just a bit on the nose for me and i just don't really like those scenes as much i think that's a fair comment i quite like rose attempting to make queen victoria say her iconic line we are not amused or i am not amused and i like this bet that they have because of that because it sort of adds a freshness a new element to their relationship as doctor and companion i hadn't actually really noticed much flirting going on i think it's because i'm busy writing down improvements because you make me do that against my will when i watch these episodes but I think it's overall a strong episode for her. I think that this episode works really well at what the end of the world and other episodes have failed to do. And that's have the Doctor and Rose, although it is briefer in this episode, be in two separate sort of streams, if you like, of the episode. And yet it works. In the end of the world, they're separated for a long time and it doesn't really work with them being on their own. But Rose being with Laura and then with everyone in the cellar and trying to talk to the werewolf and the Doctor meanwhile dining, it works quite well for me because it allows her to flourish with independence, but it also sets David Tennant's Doctor up further as a sort of guy that would work on his own without companions, as we later see in the specials. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Apart from I did have a problem with the... I didn't really like the scenes where Rose is trying to get Queen Vitz uh, catchphrase. It just kind of... I don't know. I don't know. It just... I didn't like it, and I can't tell you why. So instead of trying to explain it, I'm going to move on to the next character, and that is Queen Vic herself. I like a lot of moments of this portrayal in the episode. I like her talking about the supernatural in at dinner and how much she misses her husband. And my favourite scene is her at the end banishing the Doctor and Rose. I think it's a strong moment for her character, kind of like standing up for herself. And like a lot of the times you'd, you'd never get this. So when she meet, when the Doctor meets Charles Dickens, Charles Dickens leaves and he's like, wow, this is wonderful. I'm going to change my life. And similar things happen with Shakespeare and Agatha Christie and Vincent van Gogh this happens a lot of the, the doctor leaving they're like wow that was amazing you're incredible and i can tell you're from the future and it, wow but with queen vic she's just like no get out of here i don't give a crap and i really like this portrayal <laughs> of her i think it works really well see this is potentially a point of disagreement which hasn't really surfaced because we haven't surprisingly talked about her that much i enjoy the moments with her such as her banishing the doctor and as you said the quite heartfelt talk about people beyond the grave and you see the doctor quite remorseful in that which is not something we see with David Tennant before now but there's something about her portrayal and this is not against Pauline Collins but it just for whatever reason it seems a bit off to me I don't think it's as gloomy as I expect it to be it's a bit more casual than I'd maybe expect it to be and so it's not really an element of the episode that I like as much. I, I prefer the werewolf side of things. And I would, however, say to be more positive towards this episode 
that it utilizes her character well in the fact that she is central to what's going on. In more recent episodes, there's been a tendency to bring in historical figures for the sake of having them in it, and they've just kind of been an extra companion, and it's felt really forced and stupid. Whereas here, it's all about her and her husband. I would say still, though, that there are a few bits that just don't work for me, and in particular her line, leave my world and never return, or whatever, it just seems a bit too over-dramatised. So she goes from being too casual to over-dramatised, and there isn't really that in-between of being quite a private and gloomy person after Albert's death, which is, if it might be incorrect, but from other things I've seen, it's more the impression that I've got. You just miss Jenna Coleman, don't you? Yeah, this episode would be really good with Jenna Coleman in it. I mean, you could say that for any episode, though, so I'm just going to shut up. Welcome to the most pretentious section of the podcast where professional screenwriter Andrea tells us how she's so much better than Russell T. Davis and how she wishes she got the chance to the Santa Claus movie style kill him, put on his coat, and become him. She basically tells us how she'd improve the episode. Andrew, what's your first improvement? I don't want to do that to Russell, although the opportunity to be in his position would be obviously incredible and incredibly stressful. The writer's tale has really put me off it. But that's beside the point. As we've said, the monk introduction is very un-Doctor Who, and I know that's not necessarily a negative thing all the time because it's good to push the boundaries of the program and the program isn't really restricted by a genre except obviously being a sci-fi program but it's still as we've said it's a bit jarring and the monks don't really benefit from that introduction i also think that the voice of the werewolf is a little bit odd at times not all the time sometimes i think the actor plays it quite well as a vulnerable child teenage boy and it works quite well but other times such as the line all I require is the moon and then he just goes into this really weird half boy half werewolf voice that just it jars with me even if it is creative and fitting for the character I don't really know if you agree with me there but that was just a thought that I had I didn't really notice it to be honest that's fair enough I really am nitpicking because I feel like this episode doesn't have loads wrong with it but neither do I adore loads of it so anything that I'm saying is just me justifying why this isn't one of my favorite episodes and trying to justify it anyway I got a question where does all the wind come from I'm not talking about farts it's not the Slovenes but every time the werewolf gets close and does werewolfy stuff, like when the boy transforms into the werewolf or the werewolf gets caught by the telescope light. There's wind and everyone's hair is looking like they're in some sort of, I don't know, some sort of head and shoulders advert. But there's no logical reason for there to be wind. Why, why is this happening? Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, just, just random. I also think that, as we've said, Queen Victoria's portrayal is a little off in terms of it being inconsistent when compared to other portrayals that's not a criticism of the actress but more just the character I think she works better as an individual character rather than a representation of Queen Victoria and I think that the P of V P of V (laughs) 
And I think that the point of view shots for the werewolf are quite uninspiring. Another question, why do they keep pausing behind corners during the chase? Yeah. Do they not realise that they're still in a lot of danger despite there being a man there with a gun? Like, you've seen what happens to people holding guns. It doesn't make a difference. Bullets can't stop it. Potentially my favourite line from the episode. Yeah, my my problem with the whole chasing that I um, didn't mention is just surely this werewolf is a lot faster than these people while seemingly it, it keeps up pace with them despite being a whole lot taller and a wolf. Thank you, thank you. My last two improvements have both been touched upon. I think they try too hard to build Robert up as a heroic character. I think we already see him as that without it having to be forced by heroic tender moments with Lady Isabel. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be that element of him reuniting with her briefly in between the chase, but it does ultimately add to a sort of stop-starty rhythm in the chase, which does make you think really they should have been killed by now as you said a minute ago and finally the resolution is a bit unclear and anticlimactic because of that and I think that for me because I enjoy pretty much everything that comes before the resolution bar a few details here and there of the monk introduction before the credits the resolution doesn't succeed in fulfilling the promises that have been offered to us beforehand yeah yeah i get that i get that every week me and andrea and you at home if you want to partake we'll give this episode a rating the rating system is very simple we give it a score on a scale of 1 to 13 1 being the worst 13 being the best because there are 13 doctors as of time of recording we are no way implying that the first Doctor is the worst or the 13th Doctor is the best. That's just the way this bloody system works. Well, you can also give one decimal place a score and that's an 8.5, a.k.a. a War Doctor, a.k.a. an 8.5 Doctor, a.k.a. a John Hurt, a.k.a. an Ollivander. Okay, Andrea, what did you rate this episode? I really wish you were going first because I am still undecided I've changed my mind several times during your introduction there. So this is not going well, but I'm going to be more generous than I was going to be when we embarked upon this podcast journey. And I'm going to give it an eight. An eight. That's quite interesting. Me too. I'm also struggling between two numbers. And I think one of them is the same number and one of them is a lower number. And I really just find a lot of this episode dull. And that's not just the lighting, but ha ha ha, very funny. I just don't think there's anything, anything unique or especially interesting that occurs in this episode. It just feels like standard subpar Doctor Who of the era. So I think I'm going to give it a six. Oh, oh, wow. I was not expecting it that you were so positive. Can I take mine back and give a seven? Oh, no, I can't do that. The problem is I, I was going to give it. A, a seven but i i think i prefer the unquiet dead so i don't think i'm gonna rate this the same as that see this was also what determined it for me but i thought i prefer this to the unquiet dead so couldn't give it a seven i think for me rather than deducting points like i normally do in a very logical way it's just a general feeling of this is fine but it's not wow. 
yeah, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. And I'm surprised we managed to talk about it for this long. <laughs> I suppose I am as well. Finally, though, next week we get to talk about an actually good episode in my opinion the first episode i properly enjoy and will stop being such a negative nancy next week so tune in for that i might complain a bit but what do you expect i need to be analytical but thank you for listening and join us next week when we talk about series two episode three school reunion did you like that pun i did i really did i'm lying i hated it you can follow us on Instagram at chattywattypod. We also have email, which is chattywattypod at gmail.com. So give us your thoughts on what we've discussed. Give us ideas for what to discuss in the future, whatever. And also you can follow us on Anchor FM at chattywatty. I reiterate Dean's thanks. And please do tune in next week to hear us talk about a great episode. Yeah, so we'll see you for that next week. Bye. Bye.